0: Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Communitas Podcast, where we share stories and insights on culture, the church, and living on the missional frontier. I'm Jeff Reinhardt, president of Communitas International. Andrea Asher, chief mobilization director, co hosts. We interview guests from around the world who are striving to transform lives and communities through writing and living on mission. Let's start the show. Well, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Communitas podcast. And today, uh, Joy, Preston, and I are having conversation with Brenda Renderos. Uh, Brenda is your relatively new friend, but a close friend and a member of the Communitas board as well. So I'm excited to have you as a guest here today and to hear more about your story. And I think um, what we talk about today will be really helpful and relevant to a lot of people. So why don't you take just a moment and introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your background?
1: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, my background. So, what I'm currently doing is I am a soul care coach. I operate as a soul care coach, which is very similar to a spiritual director. We've mm-hmm. just taken maybe slightly different paths. In um, our training, I am almost done with my certification through the International Coaching Federation. I'm just about there, um, but my background has been in ministry. I was a on staff at a church as a ministry leader. Um, I've grown up in church, served in church, um, volunteer on staff, and so I'm really just trying to bring all of those experiences together to uh, just create safe spaces that are also challenging for those who. They just need that right now, and whatever it is that they're going through. Um, so I am also married; been married for twenty-eight years. I'm the one that always forgets. They usually yeah. make they they usually joke with the husband that he forgets. <laughs> I'm the I'm the one. So twenty-eight years, and I have three kids. Our youngest is nineteen. Our middle child is twenty-one. Our oldest is twenty-six. Uh, two boys with our daughter being in the middle. And um, I have a dog and two cats that follow me around faithfully, no matter where I'm at. In fact, my dog is right on the other end watching me. So,
0: great! Yeah. Oh, I love to hear that. I, I have two dogs that follow me around too. So we we may see or hear from them in the context of our <laughs> uh, conversation here. So let let's talk a little bit about let, let's call it church history. Yeah. So you have a lot of experience. You've been around church all your life. Mm -hmm. What did that look like as a kid? How did that change into your teens? You came on staff, you know, just kind of give us the macro perspective of your journey through church.
1: Yes. Okay. So, oh my gosh, quite, quite um, an experience that I've had. So my dad was the pastor of our church and it was a very small church. Uh, So it was one of those things where everyone does everything. And so I went from like being able to help, you know, clean the bathrooms and get everything ready, setting up chairs to being up front and sharing the devotional before, let's say, communion or offering. Um, you know, remember, this is like a long time ago. Things were a little different in church. Um so, I just played a, lot, a whole lot of different roles because that's just what you did. You were a smaller number. So, everyone participated in helping, and not one job was necessarily bigger than the other. Um, but some of my relationship, as far as with, with church, uh, it's been a little scattered because it's also had to do a lot with how people viewed the numbers in the church small church versus a big church. But then there was a lot, also a lot of cultural, ethnic things that would happen. And within just our faith and how we were supported, uh, how we were encouraged. And some of it was great. We had some wonderful support and encouragement. And then we had some things that were just really difficult and heartbreaking as someone who was like young during that time, really trying to figure out what to even, how to process any of that. And it was hard for my parents to help me process that because they were also trying to process that. You mm-hmm. gotta keep in mind that my 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 parents were coming out of where my dad was involved in the civil rights movement. And so, and they were also a mixed couple. Mm-hmm. And so they were navigating a lot and it was hard mm-hmm. as far as like how to now like help our, their kids navigate some of these things. And so there was just a lot that came with that, this like growing up in that. Um, but with all of that, this is where God becomes bigger. I never felt a sense of walking away from God. Hmm. Now, walking away from church was a whole other thing. <laughs> I never felt a sense to walk away from God, but I did have points in my life, life where I was fed up and done with church. Yeah, And God was really my foundation in keeping me on the right path. Um. And I don't necessarily look back and think that was a bad thing because those pockets really, I was asking some really hard questions and realizing I didn't have a whole lot of spaces to ask those questions to not get judged.
0: The mm. like
1: guy was always faithful in bringing at least one person that I could ask the questions and I wasn't judged and they would hold space with me, which is really a huge reason of why I do what I do today. Mm. I want to like pay that forward and hold space with other people that are asking some really hard questions and they don't have spaces where they feel it's safe enough to ask them
0: that that's so <clears throat> wonderful to hear because I know that it's it's really needed in our time and our culture right now yeah um, I'm curious to know if, if you're okay with me asking what were some of the questions you were asking that weren't safe in your context or what other elements of church did you kind of want to walk away from?
1: <laughs> oh, well, the whole concept of doubt, at one time was really hard. Uh, I was reading a book and I cannot remember the author. Maybe you do. I think the actual name of the book was Faith and Doubt. And I remember reading that book and I remember keeping it on my Kindle. This way I could hide that I was reading it. (laughs) How ridiculous is that, right? (laughs) And I was hiding that I was reading it because I didn't want anyone. Oh my goodness, she's doubting. Because doubt is like such like a bad word, it seems. And I've even like to this day, I'll see things on Instagram that are like things that will say that doubt is the enemy Mm -hmm. of faith. Doubt is the enemy of this. And but I've what I found was doubt was also an invitation, and God was in the midst of that. And depending on how you navigate it, it can be such a healthy thing. so that was something where, if I had doubts, it was really hard to be able to talk about it without things being thrown back at me that I just need to have more faith, that I should know better or whatnot. The other parts of church culture that were hard was the whole serving aspect. Hmm. Um, you serve and you serve and you serve, and for in my for my context, what it felt like is. If I was no longer giving what was being asked of me, all of a sudden the phone would go silent. So then it made me question this place of community. And as much as we talk about community, is this really a community or is this transactional? Yeah. I give you what you want and now you will give me community. And mm. that was really, really hard for me to, to like kind of wrap my head around, um, and then the other part of how they how we looked at serving, and I'm saying we, because I also worked within the church. So I have to include myself in this. You know, we look at serving and we tend to think that the, the really only valid way of serving is if you're serving within a formal ministry within the four walls of the church, right? And we get a little, little bit of lip service to someone who says like, But no, I feel my ministry is like at my job because I do this. And we'll say, Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. We love that you're doing this. And hey, so are you going to sign up for like kids' ministry over here? Are you going to show up for you know this outreach we're doing? And and they literally just said that this is their like, so it's like we're we're kind of giving lip service to saying, yes, what you're doing is ministry, but to really put a bow on it, you need to be in this context (laughs) over here. And so that was hard for me. Too, because I'm seeing people around me and I know the kind of work that they do and they are literally on the front lines and they're trying to figure out how do I show up in this space that I'm in? Some places where I can't say the name of Jesus, I still have to figure out how to show up. My heart is bleeding for the people that I'm working with or that I'm managing or whatnot. And, and so many didn't have any kind of support. And every time you would talk to them, they would think like, yeah, I just got to serve more in ministry. And I'm thinking, what are you, look at what you do Monday through Friday. Are you kidding me? So those aspects were really, were really hard for me to like, to to figure out. And so I would say that was probably the hardest part. And then a little bit later in life, um, the, the race factor started to come into place. Hmm. and you know, trying to navigate what does diversity actually look like in the body of Christ? What does diversity look like in church? Is it just about when you go to church and you see a lot of people that look different than yourself? Does that mean it's truly diverse? And then when you're behind the scenes, then you got to look at, okay, you have all these people who are coming to church and they all look different, but what does the staffing look like? And the example that a friend of mine gave me and I really liked was, it's like the, like you think of a party. And there are those who are invited to the party, right? And then there are those who are not just invited to the party, but they're encouraged, they're encouraged to participate, to dance in the party. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then it's not just those who are invited and encouraged to dance in the party. There are those who are now um, given opportunity to help plan the party. Then that's when you start to get into true diversity. It's not just showing up and you see all these different people that are there, but what does their voice actually look like in the forming of this thing that we're calling our own, that we're calling family, we're calling our community? Um, That really started to become much more challenging for me, uh, probably like in the last five, six years. Hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I'd like to... dive maybe a little more into that in, in just a bit. You you mentioned the word community there a moment ago. Um, my generation, we we did such a good job of establishing the local church as the place to go to get dispensed religious goods and services, right? And And with that came all of these expectations on people attending that they have to behave a certain way. Now, in some cases, behavior can be matched by all kinds of things, but in that context, it's well. If you're going to be here and belong, well, then you better serve here, which is part of your behavior. So yeah. it became this transactional expectation right. kind of thing. You know, it's no wonder to me that so many leaders of churches, not just senior pastors, li- leaders at all levels of uh, of the local church, burn out. Yep, uh, and and they're trying to, in some ways, refine their way. Um, mm-hmm. So you've experienced that both personally, but you also have been working with groups of people who find themselves in that situation. So speak a little bit to that and how people are finding true community and what that even looks like.
1: Yeah, I think the whole conversation about community is there's a lot of questions and there's probably more questions than answers right now, at least that's what I'm experiencing. You know, for me, when I resigned... You know, I resigned for very specific reasons. I I made a promise to my family, uh, my husband and my kids, and they were a little younger, my kids when I started formally working at the church. And I made a promise to them that I would never give more to others than I would give to them. Mm. And just by the nature of knowing how it was for me growing up as a preacher's kid, you see other things play out. And so that was that was really important to me. And then there's a point we reach in our family that um you know, one of our kids, our youngest, just really needed more structure. There was a lot going on. Uh, he He's adopted as well. And so there were just a lot of things surrounding that. And so I resigned. The thing is with with God, though, is like I, I can only see in part, right? He, or he knows the bigger plan there. So I resigned for those reasons. And I honestly believe he had so many other things going on there. And as I stepped away from that structure, I started to feel my spirit come back to life. And I didn't even really know that I needed that. I had no idea that I needed that. And my creativity came back and just so much started to come back to life. And community started to look a little different for me. And it was like it was spread out in so many different places. And I just started the boundary started to come down a little bit, and I started to look for spaces where they were willing to like wrestle with things that were uncomfortable, will play on the fringes a little bit. And what I have found with those um, certain conversations that I've had, or my husband and I have had with other people with community and the church, is they are recognizing certain things, they're understanding the transactions that are there, but they feel a little locked in. Hmm. Because either they're still on staff there, or this is all they've known, or they're maybe a little nervous to think outside of this context. It's it's almost like we've just been so indoctrinated to think one way about church. It can be terrifying to think a, a completely different way. And so they have, there's these questions. And so what I have found is that more that my husband and I just share our experience and our stories of interactions that we're having, that speaks for itself. And some of the reactions and responses that we're getting is this more of like sort of this deep sigh of, ah, that must be nice. And at that point, you can say, and that can be for you, too. (laughs) You know, so there's a lot of questions. I think people are seeing what we've done. Um, When they feel safe enough, they'll definitely say like, yeah, the the older generation built this big thing, and now we're stuck with having to keep the engine moving. And I I'm I hate the fact that these values that I have, I almost have to like put on the on the shelf because I got to keep the machine moving. And then me, you know, for my husband and I, we're in our early fifties. We get to now say yes, you know, kind of like the like Nehemiah, like apologizing. We created this. Yes. Hmm. We also want to bring change. So, trying to bring that healing aspect and acknowledging this, how can we be a part of change? We want to hear you. We want to see you. We want to partner with you. Uh, That takes time. If you got to build some trust there. Oh, my goodness. That is just such a beautiful, beautiful picture. It's like an invitation to decentralize
0: Mm -hmm.
1: faith. Yeah. Not behind four walls. No. And then like our friendship groups now, um, you know, we still have friends who are on on staff at the church where I was on staff on with, Um, but we've made some friends at another church, like, you know, down the way, much smaller. Uh, They're not interested in getting big, big building. They're more interested in like spreading out smaller groups and they're more interested in using their resources to fully invest in their people there. Um, And so we've made some friends over there and I've been able to do some work with them. We have a racial reconciliation small group we're a part of, and they're all in different churches. Mm -hmm. There's another church that, you know, we we connect with some people over there. We're part of a civil rights tour. We have all these different pockets. And I just love that it's just not all under one big umbrella. Mm -hmm. And each one worships, different way each one has a different focus what they're being called to um there's some like maybe some differences that could be there but that's what keeps us growing you know Mm -hmm. you talk about iron sharpening iron right like but if you if you're always the same like I don't understand how you can always you can grow I need somebody that's gonna challenge my way of thinking ask me what I mean by that you know when I make a comment (laughs) you know come on please like I you know see hearing amen all the time is great but I, I want to hear the. But what if? That's mm-hmm. good too. Mm-hmm.
0: That's good. I, I was talking to my youngest daughter last night. She's twenty four years old, and she said, "Hey, Dad, somebody approached me yesterday and asked me if I was a Christian." And then she just kind of left it at that, like, "Oh, okay. Well, how did you? How did you answer?" And she ended up saying, "Um." I am a spirit-filled person who follows Jesus.
1: Oh, I love that!
0: Right? And I was like, "Oh, that is brilliant." I love how you answered. How I would have answered it was with a question: Well, what do you mean by Christian?
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yep. Yeah, uh,
0: it, and those were some of the questions I think that you couldn't ask before. It was like, well, you, you if you don't know how to answer that question, there was a very solid, very you know, oh. narrow definition of of what that meant. So.
1: Absolutely. No, I love that. I have struggled with identifying as a Christian first. Yeah. Um I would never deny it. 100% never deny it. Sure. But I have struggled with because it depending on who you're talking to, it could come with some baggage. Right. And having sat with enough people to hear all the different stories i, I don't want that title that packaging mm-hmm. to hinder like you hear, so many people may hear that word hear that oh you know if i say i'm a christian and they'll be no matter what i say or do they're shut down i'm that's it done right i would rather show up and allow the spirit to just move through me. My character will show. Something's going to show. And I won't deny it. I'm not going to change my language. I'm not going to say, you know, whether I'm going to a church or a small group or whatnot. And if they ask me, oh, what does that mean? What does that look like? I can, we can talk about it. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it a thing. I'm just going to show up as, as a person. And let that light like shine shine. Let that light shine first. So I love her response. I love and Because I feel like she's truly getting the fact that it it comes with some baggage now. And then like what you're saying, Jeff, asking the person to define what do they mean by a Christian. um, Because that also gives you an opportunity to see where, where they're coming from. If there's any kind of like wounding or misunderstanding or whatnot. So now I know how to frame a more accurate response as to who and what I am. So, yeah, no, I love that
0: um thinking about how people define community today um when when you come across folks who have let's call it church baggage uh, mm-hmm. and i i come across a lot of folks today that are carrying wounds or you know they even describe themselves as being in church rehab and i know that you interact with a number of, of folks like that what what does community look like to them? What are the markers they're looking for that maybe we missed in our early church experiences?
1: I remember having have a conversation with one person and she was in the process of separating church and faith from expectations. Hmm. Like she said, it became so overwhelming, the expectations that she felt were being put on her whether it was lays for as like how she was serving, where she was showing up, how often she was showing up, but then also expectations of what her walk was supposed to look like, you know, like how much time you're spending with the Lord and how, how does that look like, you know, our little packages of spend this amount of time in the word, this amount of time in worship, this amount of time in prayer, and, um, and then prayer, this amount of time in confession and all of this stuff. And then, um, you know, she just felt like it's for her. It just became a list of expectations that was so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that as far as community, when it comes to how we've, we've kind of structured church, I'm wondering if a lot of people are just feeling like it's because it's, we don't want it to be legalistic, but I'm wondering if it's almost become legalistic for people that if you don't show up in this way or show up these many times, um, oh, something must be going on. What's going on? And, and without truly getting to know a person's life and what their, their like life culture actually even looks like. Kind of going back to what I was saying as far as what does serving look like? Is a person truly in ministry if they're not in a formal ministry in the four walls of a church opposed to being in ministry at their job? If we could take the time to get to know the person, then maybe we don't put all of these expectations on them. Because we, you know, we actually know who they are as a person, opposed to always trying to have some sort of a metrics to help us measure if they're really a Christian or not, are they really kingdom minded or not? And it just makes community feel so transactional, and I have to earn my way into this community. You know, I've, I would hear a certain comments about maybe somebody donating a certain amount of money, and someone would say like, oh, this person donated like this money or this land or whatever. And man, they're really kingdom minded. And that's what those sort of comments would trigger me. And I just didn't know what it was triggering at the time. But it just felt like, is is that the metric? Hmm. Like, is that really it? Like, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't think that's the heart of Christ. Hmm.
0: So Brenda, how has your communion with God, and I know that's a... It could be defined in a hundred ways, but what does your communion with God look like currently? What what is what is that what does that even mean to you at this stage of your life?
1: So this past year, I would want to say that the my favorite word, and I don't see it going away in the next year. Uh, my favorite word has been curiosity. <laughs> hmm. I have just allowed myself to be a very curious person and ask questions and like the little kid that's always asking why then you get an answer but why but why but why you know being very curious and being playful with God that's what it's looked like for me that he's okay that if I show up you know every day a little different or every week a little different he's okay if where I met with him is me tending the herbs in the backyard He's okay if what I, I read that day wasn't a whole chapter, but one verse, maybe half the verse, but it hit me. So I'm just gonna sit sit with this for a little bit. He's he's okay with that. That's called relationship. And um, so I think my connection with God has been about being curious and playful, and it's just free invigorated. Um how I engage with him, it allows me to really show up as my true self. When he says to come boldly before the throne, when he says to come as you are, I am taking that literally. And when I feel like I'm supposed to show up a certain way, I ask myself the question, says who? Mm -hmm. Because it's usually some past voices, whether it was intentional or unintentional, that that's what I'm hearing. Says who? Scripture says I can come as I am and I can come boldly before the throne. So that's how I'm going to come. I'm noticing that what you were sharing previously about the transactional nature in community probably was also in the context of your relationship with God. And that's falling off, too, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I asked my spiritual director. um, And this was before the pandemic. Yeah, right before. And I started asking her certain questions and I was so, so scared. Oh my gosh. I was so scared <laughs> to ask her like about church and about like my scripture reading. And I remember one day I just confessed to her, like, I don't know how I feel about church right now. And I quickly just said, I'm not saying I'm not going to go. I'm gonna say I'm not going to go. I just don't know how I feel about it right now. And then talking about like scripture reading confessing to her it still sounds weird to say it I'm getting kind of bored you know and I remember her saying like just no judgment at all and she just asked me when it came to church what would it look like if you took a break Mm -hmm. and I totally just like my brain broke (laughs) are you allowed are you allowed to say that is that is that okay like like the lightning bolt was gonna hit and she's like, well, if this is the place that is like, there's either some kind of wounding or is it bring hardship, then what would it look? See, I'm not saying never, like, don't be in community, but at this stage in your life, you have community. So what would it look like to take a break and allow the Lord just to help you rethink what this is supposed to look like for you? Mm-hmm. And then when it came to scripture, um, when I just gave her example. She's like, in the garden, she goes, did you connect with God there? yeah like tell me how did you connect and I started explaining like how I have like speak with him and I feel like he's speaking with me and just like how enriching it is and then I and it didn't really just like kind of gets my blood flowing to go and do what he called me to do and she's like but isn't that the whole point of connection she's like I'm not saying don't reach your Bible but don't dismiss what he did in the garden either mm-hmm. that was like the first place that I ever had To to be able to ask the questions and to have a little bit and let those things start to really break off of me as far as expectation and transaction.
0: Wow, that is so freeing. I'm so glad that you got that word um, from your spiritual director. And and it's funny, too, how we sometimes would think, oh, my gosh, you're a spiritual director. You can't say that what kind of spiritual director are you? (laughs) Um, And the answer is, of course, a really good one.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Fascinating. So we've talked a little bit about the church gathered in a more traditional sense, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, which is important. Community is critically important and the church gathered is critically important. Um, And there's also the importance of the church sent. And, And I think for a long time, maybe we've, put too much emphasis on the gathered and have kind of forgot the the sent part. Mm-hmm. Um I'm feeling like next generation folks are looking for the experience of what it means to walk by faith, not just go and sit in some gathering, yeah. Yeah. Um so how has your thinking about what we've traditionally called mission or serving the world or, or however we want to term it? how has that shifted for you and then you know explain what what attracted you to communitas
1: so i think we really got the ball moving with communitas and then just having a more missional mindset was the sort of the icing on the cake was the pandemic when everything shut down
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there's some crossover here so when everything shut down and now you know a lot of churches are kind of like struggling to get online what I started to see a lot of was people um like literally saying I need the church doors to be open my faith is like struggling because the church doors they're not open um I can't be I can't serve in ministry because my ministry is shut down um my my walk with the Lord is hurting because I don't have this building to go like to go into and they're not saying building but I understand there's you know, a church and while I do understand the importance of the physical gathering, I am a, you know, proximity type person. I like to have one-on-one conversation. I would love to be in the same space with you. Cause I get to like, I absorb that energy, you know? So I do understand that. But when you're hearing language like that, that they just can't grow anymore because they don't have this particular structure I can't serve in ministry because my ministry is shut down. That was the scariest part because they, sorry, I get a little passionate about this, but like, are you kidding me? It's a pandemic. There's ministry everywhere on a normal day to day, but in the middle of the pandemic and you can't figure out like ways to serve like the people in your home, your neighbors, like right across the street, right next door to you. Um, there's people who like are experiencing losses right now, like ministry is everywhere. And you're saying you can't serve in ministry because your package has been shut down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What about our willingness to maybe kind of think outside the box of what that could, would that you know, what that could look like? And so that really got me thinking about what sort of job have we done as a traditional church structure? in truly discipling people that if this all went away, we didn't have the freedoms that we have, right? To worship as freely as this all went away, that we would still be able to thrive and to grow. And the thinking that that would never happen here, at least in the U S we got to stop thinking that way because it did. Mm -hmm. Who would have thought the church doors would be shut? Who would have thought that you know I had one you know kid still in high school at the time that he would be doing a year of schooling online because the schools shut down. No, you would have never thought that. So us feeling comfortable that that will never happen in our country context, you know, wherever you're listening, um, we can't rely on that. And so that really just kind of got me thinking about what have we been doing and has it really been working? And so what do we need to do? That's you know, that's, that's different. And then, um, and then the race part played into that too, because I think a lot, a lot got exposed in that. And it really helped me to start thinking about how do you live missionally right where you are living? How do I have a missional mindset right where I'm living? How do I have a missional mindset when I'm engaging someone that looks different than me, has a different background than me? has a different accent than me, a different education level than, than, than what I have. How do I live with a missional mindset constantly and then let that really navigate the way that I want to learn about other people and the way I want to engage with other people? Um, and that's when I started engaging a little bit more with those conversations with Communitas. And I was connected to some people that, gosh, were so patient with me and really answering my questions and all of that. Um, and I've just love being able to hear from the community that this is really the heart wanting to have a missional mindset, whether you're being, you're going overseas or it's right there in your backyard, both, yeah. both are needed and both count.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, we've spent so much energy, I think, as again, capital C church, uh, in the last 50 years and being proclaimers and proclamation is important. It is um but what i'm hearing your you say especially in the context of the pandemic and and thinking missionally um we have to start with our ears instead yeah. of our mouth yep. yeah to get to know somebody and know their story you have to listen before you proclaim anything yeah
1: how exactly. has that
0: how has that served you and what were some of the models that taught you that skill
1: One, I think my spiritual director was a huge part of it just because of the way she held space with me during that time that I was asking questions that I was terrified to ask. Mm -hmm. That was a huge example for me. Um, I think the other thing is I am naturally a curious person. I am also, believe it or not, more introverted. And um, so if I'm in a situation Where I, you know, I would, I'm really good at getting the other person to do more of the talking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'll ask the questions, you do more of the talking. And um, so it comes a little bit more naturally to me. But one of the things I remember one time is specific. This was years ago where it was more of a lesson for me. Um, I was on staff. I was going to have a one-on-one with an individual and some things were going on. And there was the one-on-one was going to be a little bit more of a correction that needed to happen. And I had an intern with me that I was training and we had talked through how I was going to approach this topic. And then we're in there, the interns like, you know, um, observing And I'm talking to the person and I started by asking the person about their life. Like, Hey, what's been going on? How are you doing? And all this. And they start to share some things that have been going on in their life. And I realized, Oh, I think this is where this is coming from. Mm -hmm. So I immediately shifted my approach and what it was going to be. And then because I was, I gave space to hear them my approach and how I was talking to them and what I was going to talk about completely shifted. I actually asked more questions. It was more of like, so I'm noticing this. Can you help me understand? Give me some context as to what's been going on with that for you? Because I, how can I come alongside of you? And then after that session was over, I sat with the intern and we talked about why I shifted. We had this plan in place, but I shifted because now I had more context as this person's story. And that was such a vital lesson for me to make sure that I'm listening first, listen and get context. You know, just like what you were saying, Jeff, when someone asks a question, what what do you, what did you mean by that? What does that word mean to you? And like really try to take it from that place. A lot of the misunderstandings I think that we have is because we don't have context. We're not asking for a, a defining of terms, so to speak. Um, Understanding what stories are attached to certain like language that we're using, and people are getting hurt and offended because they don't know what the bridge is there for that person or that culture. You know, to use a certain term with certain cultures is it can be really triggering for some. So I think the best thing that we can do right now is start learning how to listen and ask good questions.
0: As a person of color. And I know in one of the environments you worked, it was a predominantly white evangelical culture. Uh, what have you seen and learned through that? And, and where do you think we are as a culture now? Um in asking questions and listening and connecting stories and defining language, so many of the things that I think have have been um hidden away that have hampered yeah. relationships. Um where how, how are you seeing all of that now?
1: Yeah it's still really complex for sure. I think I've noticed that politics and faith have mixed so much mm-hmm. that sometimes you cannot tell, you just can't tell the line that's there. Yeah. Um, and then that's definitely something I think we have to be careful of that. Um, you know, what comes first, you know, my politics or my faith. Um, Definitely. Yeah. What comes first in that area. And then the other thing is that, um, Assume you don't know, instead of assuming that you do, and assume that the people around you don't know, instead of assuming that they do know. So I would find that maybe um, like a particular leader has done a lot of work in this area of 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 race and reconciliation and race equity and and all of that, but maybe the people the working around them they they haven't, and so the assumption is. That this particular group, because of this leader, thinks a certain way, but that hasn't actually been poured into the people around them. And so I think we need to just make sure that just because I think a certain way and I'm working in certain areas, I can't assume that everyone around me understands that and has the, the language for it and the training for it. I need to be able to ask those questions if they understand what it is I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And then help bring them along. That, I mean, isn't that best part of discipling, right? Yeah. Where you are like, or mentoring, you allow the person to see what you're doing, right? That's the first stage of it. You, you demonstrate what you're doing. Then the next stage is you do it alongside of each other so they mm-hmm. can ask questions. And then the next stage is like you let them go. You're always there to give them support, but you let them go. Yeah. And they're going to do it the way they're, they're supposed to do it for them. So I think that's probably one of the things that I'm realizing is that there are certain people where I know, I know they're down with the cause, so to speak, you know, <laughs> but they have not passed that on to the people around them. And there's an assumption that somehow they just get it.
0: Wow, that's a great word. That's encouraging. Yeah. Uh, motivating too. So yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, Brenda, um, so tell us. What are some of the other things that you're engaged in right now? You live in the Southern California area. Um, yeah, give us a little bit more of a snapshot there.
1: So um I am partnered with um it's something called Replenish, hmm. uh, something my spiritual director put together. Uh she and her husband have an organization called Unhurried Living, it is Alan and Jim Fadling. And um, they're both authors and they do a lot of spiritual formation and things of that sort. And so she's actually done some things for, for women specifically in the area of spiritual formation. And so it's called Replenish. And what we do is between her, like Jem, and then another coach, uh, Larissa, and myself. And what we do is we have these different modules where we interview people when it comes to spiritual formation in all the different areas of our lives. And so what we're trying to show women is that when you think of spiritual formation, don't just, don't just think Bible study. This shows up in your vocation. It shows up in your physical wellness. And like, as you're aging and all of these things, this shows up in um, your relationships. Like it's so much broader than a than a Bible study. And so we've interviewed people like uh, they're not pastors. They're not, you know, Bible students. They're, it's like a teacher. And how do you show up in your classroom and in a, in a public school and how do you navigate some of that? Because I mean, this is more people's lives. There's more other people than there are pastors. Right. And so how are you showing up? And so we, we do that. And so we have a monthly thing that goes out and we hold space online with women from around the world. Um, that's what I was doing this morning. Great. Um, so we did, we get to do that. So, um, really excited by being able to do that, and then I have my own personal coaching that I do, uh, soul care coaching that I do with individuals. So, excellent.
0: Yeah. Well, Brenda, thank you for taking the time to share a little bit about yourself with us today, and uh, letting us know some of the things you're engaged in. Uh, the show notes will contain uh, some of those links to some of the resources that you've mentioned, and also for a way to people to get a hold of you um, if they want to engage with you.
1: Absolutely.
0: So uh, again, thank you. Thank you for the way that you serve so many people and the way that you serve us here in Communitas. It's really a joy uh, to have you with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I had
0: fun. Absolutely. We'll connect again real soon. Okay. So for all of you who are listening here today, uh, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you liked it, please let us know by leaving a, a rating of the podcast and share it with your friends, if you will. We're available on all the major podcast platforms so you can find us however you're engaging uh, with your media so please do so and we'll be back with you again shortly with another episode of the communitas podcast